Hey there, everybody, and welcome. This is Tevo DRC, Dr. T. We're here at the, really, the National Fellowship of Foundational Ministries based on Apostle Paul's Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, and that was my nonprofit. And the main call, I had gotten a vision in 1995 after being in a meeting and talking about praying in the Spirit for long periods of time. I had an outpouring and in my own personal life, and I got the revelation for this. I didn't know the call would be to teach in the future way back then on apostles and prophets. And now I put the nonprofit down on purpose, but we're going to start teaching on that from that point of view again, because the Bible teaches us in Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, my core verse for the IFFM, that God gives the foundational teachings for the church, the church, to the based on the office, prophets, and apostles, of which I are one, but the main cornerstone is Jesus Christ. So to teach cross-denominational, diverse, all kinds of ministry that may have different varying point of view that are greatly varying, still coming together in a corporate community to glorify the Lord, to give him glory in Ephesians 4 based on common doctrine. That's what I'm modeling and teaching on. So I can teach and think of the people that speak in the tongues and move in the spirit, people that are liturgical, people that are Baptist, people that are black and brown. I've just dealt with it. Part one of this commentary on the, this is about the people, God's people demanded a king. And so look at what it got them to, got them Saul, and it got them a lot of what we want to compare today and combine with what we see with a lot of the elevated ministry, not against them, but just to really be concerned as a prophet as what are we really, what are we doing with all this? So I'm going to teach on that, but my first part of this was laying the foundation of why I have the valid right to, you know, the call to say it based on a whole lifetime of studying different parts, different moves of the body of Christ as the Lord led me starting at age 24 till now. And we thank God for all the moves. I give God the glory, my great parents, their parents who are faith-filled Christians, faithful Christians, believed by the Bible, but also the many other kinds that are unsung, mega, micro, and TV ministers, because nobody who has paid a price should not be honored for all the good stuff that they have given out over the airways or in the natural sense. So I honor you. We just live out here because my call was to be embedded as part of the body, having my own ministry, but not being famous to see what in the world are the doctrines of doing to affect the grassroots. The grassroots is where movements begin and end. It's where the rubber meets the road in relationships and ministry, but also around town people at the drugstore, the pharmacy, or the, you know, the library, or the next door neighbor, that's the bottom line of real revival. So we're going to talk on that. But as the Lord has led me since age 24, and I've been lived in mega metroplexes, DFW 15 years, was sent to Tulsa many times, Word of Faith, but also Florida, many kinds of places in Florida with the Holy Spirit, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, outpourings, revivals, you name it, all my life. And so now we come to this point in time where we want to build bridges of community understanding and then wake up the deaf in the ministry, the tone deaf. Those have no, I don't know, maybe they're compassion fatigue because my worst nightmare has been personally 
Christian ministry that has now gone famous and it's asleep. It's the Eli Temple High Priesthood. We are the world and they just have lost their way in this fog. And that could be, that is national, but not everywhere and not all mega ministry, not at all. So we always honor my dad who is up in heaven, but he represents why I have grown up with an appreciation and respect for just natural people, common everyday people, people that can move in the spirit, people can be in a community or not, but they're just real people. And I mean, all colors, black and white and brown, even all faiths. I'm grateful. Listen, I am so grateful in the last few years. If I meet anybody of any faith or belief set that is actually not lukewarm, I am thankful for really people who are true to what they really believe. So I welcome, <coughs> excuse me, I had broccoli before I started. <laughs> so I welcome all people. But my word of the Lord and my opinion and my submitted selahs are for the Christian. The Christian leadership, whether you are a minister out of your house or minister in a mega, 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 mega around the world. So we're going to talk on it, but today I'm really going to get down to the book of Samuel. If I could have maybe the last and most informative and influential picks of Bible books in my life. For the last eight to 10 years, I would say that Isaiah 1 through 10 is probably the Old Testament and then 1 Samuel, even more than that. 1 Samuel, Eli, Templi, Priesthood, a huge, huge amount. The other would be Ephesians, Paul's book of Ephesians. Paul has mentored me through his great teaching, his lifestyle and his many kinds of levels on which he operated related, which was a very much so humble servant leader. He was the off-scouring of the world apostle, not the famous capital A apostle that everyone thinks. He wasn't sitting on a mountaintop bound, you know, getting everybody to bound, scrape at his feet. He wasn't kind of an overseer, slave master apostle. <laughs> no Christian should be like that, but... So we're just going to talk on that today. So today we're going to get to, we hope to get to, the part where we trace our way through the first Samuel commentary. And it ties in with today and the fact that what is the fruit revealed through relationships or lack thereof, the holy fear of the Lord in ministry or lack thereof, and the faith if you can find it in the real Christian New Testament church without the law. So without the law is going to knock out quite a bit of this. The other part is nobody knew, especially Apostle Paul, none of us knew that TV would be invented, mega would come, Christian ministry on TV, and then, as I've said you know, a lot, it is like, it is like the ConAgra business where in America 30 years ago, somebody bought all this land, got all the wheat crop, the corn crop, so that they could be getting these giant harvest fields, make a lot of money. And they added synthetic ingredients to the wheat and to the corn, even to the beef hormones. And now America has gone, gotten so heavy, you know, overweight. So I liken it, God put in my heart, that when you have 
Christian media, which has grown since mid eighties on, and you have it not being addressed for some parts that are just missing that are not valuable or just forgotten or never were thought of, then you can have the similar style of a lot of preaching going out, it being morphed on the way down and at the grassroots it's combined with who knows what. Who knows who is a lot of it. <laughs> and fame came in, Hollywood came in, packaging came in, fantasy, playtime has come in, wannabeism, a lot of things that were not there in America when even the Christian TV went on. We're not knocking Christian TV, we're for Christian TV, but I'll be honest, as it has morphed and changed and has really changed, and I haven't even watched it for years, I watch YouTube, it had gotten so much about the packaging and about the M word, money. It had gotten so much of that, I couldn't watch it. I really couldn't, so I just don't watch it. But I know that during its prime, with me, there were, when I was in Virginia especially, it would come on when I was in that more, wasn't cosmopolitan, more rural, when you really don't have many inroads of encouragement that you could turn on the TV and there would be the word of the Lord. In fact, my whole life, starting age 16 on up, was when I would be just randomly feeling, oh, I want to turn on the TV and there'd be a Christian with the word of the Lord, so let me honor that. When I was 16, I'd been raised up in a Christian family in Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, and I it was right when the Jesus People move started, and I was in the college prep class and, you know, things like that, and I started to want to know, I was saved, but I just wanted to know about psychics, and they had Edgar Casey Museum in Virginia Beach, they had Jean Dixon riding her horoscope, well, Jean Dixon she said she was a Catholic. I thought that was okay. Nobody knew, you know, what we know. So I was well-schooled and well-read, but I was hungry, it turned out. So when I was starting to read that, my mom and dad didn't know it, but my mom knew the Holy Spirit, though she was a Baptist. Nobody talked in tongues. Nobody's charismatic. So all of a sudden, I noticed that I'd been, you know, just wondering, is that true? You know, is that valid? at school and then all of a sudden my mother had this sudden desire to take me to force me to go to this teenage bible study and i did not want to go but my mom was strong she talk about powerful lady so i went i submitted and i went to this bible study turned out it was like ah the jesus people they all there were their jeans at the ocean front and i remember certain things i wanted jesus because it wasn't about all the rules and it wasn't dry and dull now that wasn't how my parents lived it it was just what i had the general impression from basic church back then so when i went i would i made jesus lord of my life and i remember her illustration was that there's a throne on your life everybody has a throne on their life they ask jesus in to be their savior but then they got to say who's going to be on the throne is it going to be you on the throne or Jesus is the Lord of your life. And that's a huge illustration. So I had to determine, am I going to make Jesus my Lord as well as my Savior, or am I going to be my own, you know, Lord? So I chose that, and man, it really made a radical difference. It really, I just really wanted to grow. So one day I came home after that, and I turned on the TV. My parents weren't around. And so I came home after school, 
and I flipped on the TV and there was this pastor in Virginia Beach. I think his name was anyway, Eastman or something like that. He had a big Bible study I'd heard of. So he was giving his testimony and his testimony was that one day he cried out to the Lord using Jeremiah 33.3. Now see, this is on TV. I would not have thought of this or nobody would have, you know. So I just turned on the TV and he was saying that when he was younger, he had cried out literally Jeremiah 33.3. It said, call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things you know not of. And he said he'd really done it. He really said, Lord, I call unto you. I want you to show me great and mighty things I know not of. And the Lord had. And now he's teaching this Bible study. All right. Well, so I thought, no, you know, I was timid back then. So I thought, nobody's around. I'm going to experiment and see if this happens. So I called out. Nobody's there. I went, Lord, show me great and mighty things I know not of. And you know what? He has. But with me, it's never been black and white, fast, rocket. It's just been like this slow as I walk it out, a revealing. Oh, oh yeah, I get it now. I see a bit more. I understand. It's very easy going. So that's when I think of the Holy Spirit. That's when I met the Holy Spirit, same type of thing. But during the years, I've had many instances where it was the time where God allowed a TV person that is famous, that may have a movement or not, to be there. And then, of course, there's the, the natural side, too, just hearing from God and all the good prayer people and people I've known in ministry and my family, just different things. So today we're going to talk about <laughs> the king. You know, when we had, when I'd gotten into... When I got into 24, the Lord called me. He said, I want you to study my body that believes the Bible, all the different kinds of ministers, their doctrine, the different colors. And then one day I'm going to have you build bridges of, to unify and help people understand. And that was over a generation ago. I didn't know what I would learn. I didn't know how it happened. But surely being led by the Spirit 24-7, if he said go, I went. That's all that happened. And all this has come out, you know, through prayer and time and patience so what I didn't know, I would notice until lately, until I got down in Dallas, really, and I noticed the effects of mega and our, of TV on this on the whole nation. And it isn't just Christian TV; it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, and on our thinking and our you know attention spans, a lot of different things. But mine is going to be talking on the natural side, the normal side of loving Jesus and relating to people and really respecting all kinds of people. You don't have to be formal. When I had accepted the Lord, I was always, I mean, when I had gotten the call at age 24, I was a minister. I didn't have a title. I didn't in any kind of professional ministry, but I just did it. I just wanted to do it and know more about the Lord. However, when I was in my 30s, in, my, in, in the mid-80s, I got a call to have a, what they call a professional ministry, full-time ministry. So I did, and I had it a teaching and then a prayer for pastors and leaders, as well as a, uh, a newsletter every two months called The Encouraging Word. So I did it for 15 years. So as a result, I'd be invited to revivals and gatherings. And, you know, that's how I met black and white, got into racial healing, reconciliation, urban, suburban ministry, which is my turf. I like that. Well, it was also the time when there had been 
servant leadership basically we had billy graham the jesus people which are servant leadership and then all of a sudden we started getting big tv and there was like the jim baker sweat scandals and the media scandals of uh jim baker and jimmy swagger happened and i was starting the bible school study and i saw the fallout this ties in with this message right so i saw the fallout in family members who'd given money or friends had given money or put their hope into the people and so the people that fell they have repented and that's not about them now it is the principle of big faces and fame on the and celebrity on the grassroots the common person so i was watching it and because i had been given the grace only the grace the rare grace of having surrounded by a bunch of noble bereans who were bible people and not easily moved, none of them in the Holy Spirit, but also you watch everything. That was the training, and you make sure it's in the Bible. So my spirit, when those two groups came out, you know, that particular two, I'd never felt to donate. My heart just didn't say do that. I didn't watch it a lot, but every so often. So when it happened, I saw accusations start. That's when Americans started accusation. Now, I don't know if some major prophet might have said, you know, somebody should have stood up at the time and, you know, said, don't accuse. And, you know, maybe that would have stopped the accusation that has been in our nation ever since. <laughs> but it was during that time and I saw the confusion and the mocking and the big deal about money. And I went to the Lord. So I went to the Lord about it. Now, to me, when you look at first Samuel and the Eli Tipple priesthood that used women and used money and Eli did nothing about it in his temple. Those are his sons, the priests. It says in that day in first Samuel, Eli's day, the offering of the Lord was despised in that day because of what the priests did with the holy things and the relationships. If I go back in my life, it looks to me that since those two fell, not putting it on them at all, but because we haven't learned, then it looks like the offering of the Lord has been despised in our nation till now. All right. During that time, by God's grace, <laughs> I went to the Lord because I was teaching a Bible study and I know a big church. It was 1200, which is mega big back then. So I, I really went by myself and I said, Lord, what about this? I see people just offended and hurt and confused and all this is going on now. And the Lord gave me Micah 7.5 and I'd never read Micah 7.5. So I opened up Micah 7.5 and guess what it said? It ties into right now, right? It says, do not put your trust in your neighbor. Do not put your trust in a guide. Do not put your trust in the one who lies beside you in the bed. Only put your confidence, your trust in God. I went, whoa, that's it. That explains it. We need to train everybody, teach everybody. If you have a ministry, train everybody. Don't put their confidence in you. Only put it in God just in case, God forbid, something happened. So that was back then in the 80s, late 80s. And... I didn't have any influence. I didn't have any. I told the head pastor, but that's all you could do. I thought, I've done that. You know, I've tried to done that, do that for myself. But I think, 
man, it got worse. It got more elevated, more big eye, more bowing and scraping. And I'm out here with them. So I knew when <laughs> I had lived in Virginia Beach, then we relocated to the central Virginia region, which is much more isolated and more rural at the time, more country. And I was in the spirit-filled charismatic group. I'm not a charismatic now since 2012, but I was then, and I was there with, these people were fine, moral people, all right? It was also, at that time, black and white, and it was also before patricianism, Roman elevated ministry came in, you know, bowing and scraping, and it was before celebrity, and it was before the... Who are you under shepherding Western European literature? I didn't know anything about that. I never had, as a Baptist, as a Baptist, you don't deal with that. I didn't know that that is a giant, huge submission. To me, submitted, everybody know this. Submission as a Baptist, I'm still a Baptist. Let's say this. I'll always be, thank God for the Baptists. Even though I can pray in tongues, I can go with them. No matter what they're doing with the Holy Spirit, I love Holy Spirit. But I have at least thanked the Lord a foot on the ground of being practical and watching people if I respect them. That's what I do. All color. So I was watching and I thought, man, my if if you if people have said I've few people have accused me that have never spoken to me, never called me up, never submitted to Matthew 18:15 or Galatians 6:1 to talk to you in person, find out. They have said, she's not submitted. That's their, that's charismatic, all right? It's not my kind. My kind, Noble Brian says, I am submitted. If I'm sitting there looking at all the boundaries, respecting them, quiet, amiable, there to be talked to if you need to talk to me. James 3.17, pure, peaceable, easily treated, full of mercy and all, all that. I'm submitted. If I'm there in your meeting, I'm submitted to your boundaries. If I'm not there, I'm on my own turf because I got my own call. So it is a huge bit of a deal when you deal with false teaching and that accuses, character assassinates, lies and tail bears. And that is what I teach for that because at one point, the Lord, I was running into this a lot, covering teaching in America when you go to the Holy Spirit, which is my field. you got to teach on it. Now defrag it because it hurts many people. The Lord said, Tavo, never take things personally, take it prophetically. If you see something three times or more that hurts people or my good name, teach on it. That's why you hear me teaching on it. All right, so when I'm in the you know, mega, there's no mega, there's just micro and that's normal. I think like I was raised, I'm happy with that. There's before all these big titles and eagles and all this prophetic stuff got in there, you know, and everybody started to clone and all that type of thing. So we go back to the real deal and we want to say, what is the real deal now with all this going on? This is not the old season. This is a new season. And I feel like God is saying he's going to get rid we need to get rid of the old Eli Temple priesthood. But my point is we got to keep it from reoccurring because even in 1 Samuel, it came back. It did even after Samuel came on the scene, and that's what I'm trying to get to. 
So we look at one person at a time and say, are you the real deal? One group, one minister, we're not trying to do stereotypes because there could be a nice, great Christian who's a Baptist, a charismatic, and they could be fine. But then there'd be the ones that are not, or a black person, a white person, a female. Nobody is the, you know, they're all, we got to say there's no stereotype because it's that important. All right. When we look at the overview from way back when to before Mega started, that's my point. That's why I was here. So I was remembering, I was starting in ministry, been a Christian a long time before all these big doctrines that are popular now and mega came to town. And so I saw how it started. I remember being in the grassroots central Virginia and I remember it started to get the glossy magazines, the famous glossy charismatic magazine from Florida started being published and they started to show people advertising their conferences. And then, you know, you're trying to, here's the reason. It's not their fault they did it. Nobody's fault. We were all new. They didn't know, we didn't know, all right? So I looked at my kind, my group, you know, the people that I knew and me, everybody's thinking, well, you know, we're not famous, but we got this big call. That's how it started. We got this call for the nation, the world, you know, the international ministry, which is true. Now you can on TV, on your phone, really. But back then it wasn't like that. So you're doing your best. And so there you are out in the boonies, let's say, or anywhere stuck and you get hope that you too can get out there. And there was no YouTube, it was just you. And then they had all the TV coming in that you, it was helpful a lot. You had to, you know, everybody, I remember a lot of people when Christian TV came on and they had big hair, a lot of people laughed and mocked. I didn't, I just figured, you know, those people had a different life. They must've had it tough. I think they were raised Pentecostal, which they couldn't wear makeup. That wasn't me. So when they got TV, they just put on it to make up for lost time. That's what I thought. But I knew God uses that because my Bible teaches me that God chooses to use the foolish things of this world to confound the worldly wise. So you have to hear God for yourself. Those days were there and the peer pressure was that, you know, because you have a little ministry and you know God's got your call on, you know, and there are all these others. And you say, well, you know, maybe this is how we're supposed to do it. You get an ad in charisma, let's say. So we did at one point. We thought we were supposed to have a conference. And uh, it was $1,200. We had to get our JPEG, which is way back then, big money. But I, after a while, I don't do that. I don't feel that is the call. But I don't think we understood what was going on from any point of view of that. Now we can see that, that a lot of it was laying a foundation for the showbiz, for money, and for people trying to be the popular minister wannabe, the Boanerge, immature, but trying, but not deep or informed. Back in the day when they had that magazine, I remember in 1996, it was published. I don't read it. I don't want to read things like that now. But I read it back then, and it had an ad in 1996, I believe, for a book by Bob Buis, who was a prophet. I'd read his book on favor. It was really good. I didn't get the book, but it said a warning to the Christian church in America that there would be a 
spirit of entertainment and fantasy that would come on the church, 1996. True. That's part of what we got going right now. Legend in our own mind, trending in our own, you know, too many of them. I'm out, I've been out here, especially in Dallas. Prior to COVID, it was like, wow, you can't believe it. All right. So we need a foot in reality. This is what we're saying. In 1995, about 1994-95, I had my own prayer meetings at the time. I did have a ministry that was more visible around an area until Dallas, and that's okay. So I had my prayer meeting where men and women would come, and we'd pray for the other pastors and for revival and for the nation. And I had that many years, 15 years. And so one day, around that mid-90s, a lawyer comes in who was a prophet. And his name was John Chenault. I just remember seeing him two or three times. I haven't heard from him all that. You know, I just remember this, but to give him honor. He comes in, he said, Tavo, I had a dream, a vision of dream. And he said, it was a big ocean. And this big ocean had all these big, you know, party boats, casino boats on it. And all these boats were just filled with happy noises and people were singing and they struck it big on the casino wheel and they were making merry. He said, however, when I looked at all those boats, many boats, casino boats and party boats on the big ocean, it turned out they were churches. And I went, wow, I treasure that in my heart because there's nothing that would have ever clued me in at that time of what we were to find is there. <laughs> It was not until 2006 to 2018 that I would remember that vision. And that was in Dallas. And not everyone is like that, no, but it is too many. It's like shocking. So mine is, is there anything wrong with TV? No. Is there anything wrong with good lighting and staging? No. Good quality production? No. Cheering and, let, you know, having happy times? No, there's nothing. My comment is I'm out here in the grassroots and I was sent in the earth suit of a middle-aged white female who's not famous, who knows ministry from years, but lost it due to what went on unfortunate in my family. And as a no proof, except I know Holy Spirit as a prophet, I could see God using that to test the fruit in different kinds of ministries out in the field, what he sees. So as I said, God had told me, instructed me, if you see something that brings dishonor or hurts people, brings dishonor to his name, to build it to trust, or hurts people, then you are to teach on it. That's why I've, I've taught against dishonesty. I've taught against wealth. I've taught against a lot of things, racism, chauvinism, misogyny, a lot of things. For the sake of the Father's house, zeal for the Father's house. Somebody in those sweet baby Jesus cocoons they like to stay in, I would say faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27, 6, because I'm your friend, by telling you. So if I deal with the Eli Temple A priesthood, which I have, the patriarchal, diet in the wool <laughs> we have to you know i can teach that but that doesn't just end first samuel that's first samuel usually it's a lost first love lifestyle takes people for granted women maybe 
and it is similar to the Pharisees. It, it has it ought against females. It really does. And it is like the lost first love lampstand of Church of Ephesus, chapter 2 of Revelation. Many things, but Eli has been a huge deal. It's also like 1 Samuel, the first 10 chapters, the first 3, and it's got a lot of woe. You're calling it good, evil, evil, good. So that's why I'm saying it, because I love and respect God's name in a holy fear of the Lord. And then I also have a holy reverential fear of the Lord for the really good Christians who are the remnant who are not like this. But who can tell now with all the media and savviness going on, who's a real deal? And that was my concern the last 10, 15 years. Who is an MI? I mean, really, am I? I have to walk it out myself. Who, if Jesus comes today, who would he say is a real Christian born again in ministry that lines up with his first church intentions in the book of, you know, in the New Testament? Who and what is real and authentic am I or you? All right. The other part is what is ministry about and what is fellowshipping with about? So we're teaching on that over in Teammate U and whatever I feel it. But today we want to zero in on, on what in the world is the future church. I want to, I need to address the future church on onlinefellowship.us, which is DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship, but I can't get over there yet till we deal with the stuff coming out, pulling at us, sitting on us, stuck in us, and making our noses turn up maybe some places, from the old move, which is now Eli. The old move that has forgotten why we're really here in the first place about eternity, basically. So mine is to be, scripturally, zeal for the Father's house. Tossing over, turning over any type of temple money changers that's possible to stir up the sleeping dead. How can you tell these people are sleeping dead? Read Psalm 115, that is the secret, I call it demisization of America in ministry. It's the demisization of America. But I'm not talking to all Americans. I'm talking to the Christian Americans. Am I, am you. The love of money is the root of all evil. In our ministry, abiding relationship theology for everybody to get along. The relationship with money and making money having more money and not having enough money is the root of all evil. That's it. One of the reasons or two of the reasons why I don't haven't taken up a lot of offering is because I was concerned because of the last 30 years that all it, it seems to be only about money, that the offering of the Lord is despised. Also, I had to get ready to do to open our doors and get out there more and it had to be the season now is the season we're getting out there all right but the issue is my heart is to be very careful about the m-word money and making money and not making it merchandising or merciless or all about the machine you know to bring in the money it's about how we do it the relationship factor when I look into the big eyes and the little U's and much of the ministry now, that is a big deal in certain parts of the ministry, big eye, little U, 
I had plenty of time to analyze what spirit a lot of that is in. A lot of it is under the law. It is in certain cultures. That's how they were raised. But when I look at what is true teaching in the organic first church, I would think there would be no doctrine of the Nicolaitans. God says he hates that in Revelation 2 and another place. He hates the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. What are they? Doctrine of the Nicolaitans, Nico, excuse me, Nico is really like the word Nike, the root word, which means to control. Laos means the people. So these are controlling doctrines that tried to get in the first church. When I was in Dallas, plenty of time on my hands to be a noble Berean to study. I googled around for not the definition of doctrines of the Nicolaitans that God hates. So it said they're a Gnostic doctrine. That means it's a man-made, you know, Western uh, Greek thought doctrine that tried to infiltrate the first church. And we know basically it did try to control people. Only one person that I could find, I've never said it since, found it since, but I will submit it because it sounds pretty true. It said that one time that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans were the first church doctrines that were false, that came in and it raised and elevated the fivefold offices from being with the people. All right, there were no big eyes. They were like in a family cluster and that they would notice by discernment who had more call, the calling, anointing, the experience, the valid ministry, because they were always fasting and praying. They had not gotten legalism on that move yet. Now, it makes sense to me because it looks like in America for my life, all my life, maybe it's just white America, but I, it looks like if they took people out of the, you know, they raised up the pastor to be over everybody and the pastor and the bishop and the apostle and the prophet, everybody's now the speaker on the stand and the people are out in the audience then it looks like what we have, and that means lots of people historically, especially all kinds of churches, they go to church, they're not in charge, they're glad they can sit there and watch their clock and wait for dinner afterwards. So the dulling down dependency, sometimes the sheep dependent on the pastor and the pastor dependent on the sheep to make them feel proud, you know what I mean? That is going on in a lot of this. This is about kingship. This really traces into kings, right? When you teach on ministry, there are such things as prophet, priests, and kings. You know, there's the prophet, he hears the word or she from the word of the Lord. And there's the king who's the businessman. Well, I don't think, as we all know, it wasn't meant to be such a big division. It should be everybody should hear king and God can help anybody Yet some have special fields. We, we understand. The issue is, can any person, prophet, priest, king, barely making it, owning, famous, can they make it in the worst part of their life by trusting God alone with the Bible and the Holy Spirit? Or will they be helpless, powerless, clueless, you know, meet their demise too early, and dependent on the king or the prophet to be there. That's the issue. So in my time of 15 years in practical isolation, except for my nice gym, the barista fellowships, nice people, normal people, the civilians, 
I had plenty of time to analyze it. I think, why? Why is it so hard to go to church now? Why is it so hard? You can't go. I, these are charismatic because my call is Holy Spirit, not to be spooky. But I mean, you need Holy Spirit. And when I go toward the Holy Spirit, that's when I met patricianism. If you'll Google, these are kings. You Google Roman patricianism, that was a false teaching because it is a, Jesus was not a Roman patrician. The Roman patricians were 80 aristocrats who were in charge of the government of Rome and could say, you know, own people, slave people. That's the same spirit of slave master, overseer slave master. So when I would go in, I would find myself not famous. It wasn't pretty. I would be different. You know, I could be typecast by age, by gender, by look, by energy. I could have witch watchers, all this demonic dark doctrine stuff. And so Jezebel, it's really so Jezebel conscious to me. The more I see, I studied because of this. I studied Jezebel. I got my Bible out. I got my Bible out for witches. And I found a lot of this is witchcraft on their part. A lot of this off doctrine, psychic or occult, a lot of it is like a preoccupation where they've just got nothing better to think about. They don't think like Billy Graham. They don't think like going out and helping people. They just going to preserve their turf, their kingdom. And that's ties them with the message also. Let's look at the message. I could, you know, I have a lot to share. It's interesting, though. It's been interesting. It's been a lot of pain, but it made me know the Holy Spirit. And I feel so free. I feel so calm. I really do. All right, let's look at the basic root of our talk, and that is the amazing book of First Samuel. Now, the First Samuel book is a huge paradigm shift in the nation of God's people. All right, the nation of God's people is always valuable to him. That's what's important is about Israel and about us. All right. It's about the people in our relationship and our time we spend in our relationship with God, but then each other to make a safe and sane family like society of all colors. All right. So if you start with first Samuel, the basics, and I've taught and taught and taught, I won't say it all, but if you look at the, it starts with the pitiful and sorry and tragic, ultimately tragic tale of Eli, the symbol of the mega ministry, <laughs> the mega mental ministry gone south. And Eli and his good old boys, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the oracle office, the oracle of the whole area, and they were in charge of tithing and people and being a representation of the Lord Almighty God. Well, time went on, the perks got bigger, the people got tired, Eli was compassion fatigued, and he started to make stereotypes. So when one day the future mother of the prophet Samuel, the first prophet in the nation of Israel, came to the temple steps, nobody knew her. But she was alone, and it showed his heart. She was grieving and weeping on the front steps. Here's Eli, older man, put on weight, it said, and he, was, he must have seen it all because he was jaded. When he sees a weeping lone female, it shows he devalued and disrespected women or people in general. 
because instead of thinking, oh, what's going on? She's weeping. Let's go see if I can help her like Jesus would or, you know, a real Christian or a real <laughs> priest. He instead says he sizes her up and he gives her a demeaning stereotype. The first thing in his heart is she's drunk. I've seen a million of these. Oh, my gosh. One more time waster. Lone female. Turned out her backstory, she was the favored wife of her husband who loved her, Elkanah. And then she's being persecuted because she was barren by the other wife, Penina. So he didn't know that, but it shows Eli's character, his heart. Eli also had a backstory, and that was his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. It was well known around the area that that ministry duo, the two associate ministers, slept repeatedly with the women who came to the temple. They used them. They abused them. They had no self-control. They allowed it and tolerated it. They didn't respect women. They didn't value God's people, part of it. The other part was they put pressure on the offerings that the people brought. They even had a helper to do it. It was well known. They took in the offerings and kept it for themselves, and Eli did nothing. All right? So the offering, people know what goes on. People have their, they understand. So they, the offering of the Lord was despised in that day. Well, then out of the blue, shortly after, a few you know, times later, later in Samuel, a unknown prophet, no name, no face, not famous. He comes out and he gives the word of the Lord to Eli. He says, Eli, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed and you and your sons and nobody from your family will ever be in the priesthood in my office ministry again. And they were unclean. So shortly after, when that long before they got word of the Lord, that got word that Hophni and Phinehas had been killed. And when Eli heard it, he was 98. He fell over backwards. He put on weight and he died. Well, during the time between the, the first part of the chapter and that, the end, the demise, was when Samuel was born to Hannah. See, Hannah was sent as a secret agent, as a trial before God, as a litmus test to see how the priesthood was and how they valued people or not and respected people or not in the name of the Lord, the Most High God, for the nation. So she ends up getting pregnant, and she has Samuel, who is the first national prophet. So then Samuel grows up under the tutelage of Eli. Now, this is where it really gets interesting. You think that is plenty. That's amazing. All right, so God removes the old, stale, stagnant, dysfunctional priesthood. All right. He puts in a new day, his brand new era of a prophet which goes to the Lord on behalf of the people so that those people can hear from God. Nobody could invite God into their heart like we can in the first church, you know, in New Testament. They didn't have Jesus. That wasn't a time they could do that. So they had oracle offices that would go into the hear the Lord for the people and the body and then come out and tell the leaders and the priests. All right, so let's get on down to 1 Samuel. Well, there's all these things going on in the nation, as usual. They have the Philistines coming. They have the wars going. They have many things happening. And then when we get to chapter 4, that's when Eli's sitting there, and he's his heart is upset right before he dies. 
his heart is concerned because the battle with the Philistines and the ark of the Lord, the holy ark, is out there and he's worried about it. So then in verse, the verse, uh, chapter 4 of verse 14 of 1 Samuel, it says, Eli heard the noise of the crying. Then he said, what's the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and he said, um, he tells him the word of the Lord. Let's skip down to 17. It says, the messenger said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter of the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of the Lord is taken. So the most precious, valuable things to Eli's own life, his ministry, but his heart, his family, were dead, stone dead. And so when it came to pass that he fell when they mentioned the ark especially, thank God he had a remnant of, you know, a modicum of priestly honor and love left. It said that he fell over backwards and died, for he was old and very heavy, but he judged Israel 40 years. So then we have the next part, and the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. When we get to that point, I've taught and taught on that repeatedly because I felt as a word of the Lord for the stony hearts of the mature ministry and Christians in this last move. And that COVID, I'd had a word of the Lord in 2019, which I posted on many websites. And in 2019, September 16th, I got from the Lord to go read the book of Acts chapter Acts 2. And I know that chapter, it talks about the mighty wind, so I expected to read that. Well, when I got down to the part about the mighty wind, it turned into a, the rush of a mighty wind, it turned into a flush, in my spirit I saw that, a flush of a mighty wind, a Holy Spirit wind to flush out ministry character. It would be a beginning, but it would keep on going, a flushing out of ministry character. I had no clue that the pandemic would happen only a few months later. And when that happened and I saw what I'd seen, systems and all sorts of macho misogyny and all sorts of dysfunction and money, money, stuff like that, I went, I get it, Lord. I get it. You're flushing it out and you're rebooting it. I felt like it was a rebooting. We need to really go back and treasure the good stuff out of the old moves and ourselves and then get on with the new day. It's not a new day. I think we need to repackage I think we need to get over ourselves in Christian plastic ministry, charismatic especially, and let's start a holy fear of the Lord love move, and let's get out there and start again with repackaging, fellowship with the saints, presentation of the Lord, the office prophet, all those things. It's supposed to be real people, not big eye celebrity. Now, i got to tell you why I think that I had no clue. Holy Spirit is my teacher. I would never have thought of this had I not been raised by such a normal, natural pastor, but also seen so many in my life, but also never knowing what the fruit of Big Mega after many, many years of, you know, no failure could be for the people that follow, not for against them, not against them. But I'm saying let's Nobody had been sent, to my knowledge, that would even notice this, but God chose to send a Hannah, a type of Hannah, on the front porch of many Eli Temple I priesthood. That's how we know how to teach. Because of the disrespect. Sorry. All right. That's why I'm not a charismatic, but I can love them. All right, let's see. So now we want to get over 
to the transition. Now, when you read 1 Samuel, we have all the different things, Philistines and the god Dagon and it falls, you know, the idol falls over and there's all these big false gods and egos and Egyptians and hardened hearts and all these types of things. So I'm not going to go there. I don't have time, but let's get over to what happened when Samuel grew up. Now that's the thing we've never talked about. All right. Samuel was the promise of the new day. He was the treasured promise mentored for a few years by Eli, his mother, dear Hannah, he grows up, and then we find that history wants to repeat itself. History in the Hebrew people, history in any nation wants to repeat itself. And I'm not saying that it was Eli, his leftover environment that got on to Samuel in some way or not, but let's read about it, all right? The old sins of the fathers repeating itself and the iniquity of the generation. What does the Bible teaches? You know, iniquity is a condition that if they don't repent of it and get rid of it and they don't refuse it, it will get harder to deal with on the next generation. So we don't want that in any kind of way. All right. Let's go over to 1 Samuel, verse 8. I mean, chapter 8. Now, here's what we can learn. See, this is it. We don't have to feel hopeless. We don't have to feel frustrated. We don't have to feel like we'll never get any better because you can't. All right, we just learn so history won't repeat itself with you or me. All right, we don't want to call people Jezebels. <laughs> you assess them, don't accuse them. If you think they are, then you need to be mature and go confront them if they really are and find out if they are. And if not, set them out. Like first, what is it? Revelation Church of Thyatira. Why do you tolerate them? <laughs> Nobody's ever talked to me <laughs> if they thought I was with all their elite peering seriousness. <laughs> but it just teaches me how not to do. That's it's a bit of all. It's really bad of all. Not Baptist. Makes me want to be one. <laughs> no, I forgive. I really do. But it's so class conscious. I mean, there's so many ways you can think about it that are just so untrue in a Christian sense. There really are. And I mean, this is not one group. This is mega and micro, too. All right. Let's skip over to 1 Samuel 8. And it came to pass when Samuel was old. This is what happened. We've got to watch it, everybody. When Samuel got old, he was the new move, the fresh wind, and he got old. All right. It says when Samuel got old, that he made his, ju his sons judges over Israel. And the name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abiah, and there were judges in Beersheba. Now, here's the big story. All right. And his sons, Samuel's sons, walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, M-O-N-E-Y, mammon. They turned aside and they got wanted mammon and took bribes and perverted judgment. Tell me if that is exactly, almost identical to Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. All right. So... Was it, just putting it out, was it because their dad, 
who is not doing that was he a famous celebrity and they got the you know trickle down oh yeah entitled i'm entitled because you know we're well off we can do it now you know we've made it dad is famous so let's trade on his name let's put pressure on that happens listen that happens all right so whatever happened maybe samuel who is you know this happens too Sammy was so big that he had so much time to give. He had energy to give to all these different directions as the top leader of the mega ministry for God, the Oracle himself, <laughs> that maybe he put his children to the background and didn't make them respect their, you know, the holy fear of the Lord. He didn't give them quality instruction or modeling that would make them grow up in the right way. And who, I mean, that's just easy for anybody to, you know, it's, it's hard to do that. It really is. So we don't know why, but whatever it was, Samuel's children had bad reps. They had bad reputation with the people. And so this is why it's important. So all the, the sons walk not in his ways their own father's ways, Samuel's ways, but instead they were after lucre, mammon, and they took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel at Ramoth. And they said unto him, Behold, Samuel, they, they came to Samuel, they said, Samuel, you know what, you're getting old now. <laughs> we got a plan for you. You're getting old now, and your sons are not walking. You're, and your sons not walk not, not in your ways. In other words, Samuel, we know you're going to leave. We got to have a plan, and your sons are not ready. We do not want their kind, all right? So they had a real reason to be that way, but however. So the elders got together, and they you know, decided, you know, we're going to, we need a plan. We're sort of desperate. <laughs> There's nobody that has the Holy Fear of the Lord left. We got to come up with our own. We, that's the secret of men and, you know, men and women and carnal people. We're desperate for us. So therefore we don't logically see a way out. We are going to come up with our, they did, did they pray about it? No, they just came up with their good ideas. That's what they did. And so they said, behold, you're old, Samuel, and your sons are not walking in your ways. We can't trust them. So make us a king, Samuel, to judge us like all the nations. And that is what our topic is. All right, so they come up in their desperation, their need for a future plan. They need a future church. They need a real reason. They have rational reasons for this. But they come up to talk to Samuel about it, and they don't really go to God to get his opinions, <laughs> right? So they're off. So Samuel is put in the predicament of what do I do? Do I please the king himself on the throne, God, or do I come up to make the people go away because they really bother me and it makes me feel bad that I'm so dysfunctional as a parent that my children are acting like that. You know, there's a lot of emotional intrigue and drama and all that. Verse 6, but the thing, the thing that the people wanted, the king, displeased Samuel. And they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So he did really go to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they may say unto you, for they have not rejected you 
but they've rejected me that I should not reign over them. This is the, the crux, all right? So in their natural state of observing and rational thought, they looked around, they thought, man, Samuel's gonna leave at any moment. We're gonna be stuck with these losers, these mammon-chasing, lucre-centered, you know, people. And they said, we've got to have a plan. Well, their plan, was not to go to God and ask for anything. They just wanted what they thought because they thought, you know, I'm looking around at all the heathen nations, all those other nations, they look like they're doing well. They're doing better because they haven't got all these issues like we got. We're going to, we want to be like them. Maybe the Philistines, maybe the Amorites, maybe the Moabites, maybe all the different ones, the Hoosites. I don't know who's out there. All right. So they started being natural the Theophost, not theophostic, but um, they wanted their way so they could rationally give themselves hope for the future. So they had gone in a natural sense, but not a spiritual sense to the Lord. And the Lord saw their heart and he said, man, you know, the Lord, if they're that ornery, if they're that full of themselves, if they don't want me involved in any of this picture, give them what they want. And so, because they were human and they wanted it the human-pleasing way that we like it, God gave it to him. And guess who he gave it? He gave him Saul. And Saul, as we know, I'm not going to go deep into Saul, but Saul was a had an inferiority complex and chaos and dysfunction a mile wide. He looked good. He looked handsome. He looked strong, but he was a big wuss. And he was very oppressed so much that he tried to kill David, who was the future king who was anointed. So he was calling good evil, evil good, because he was like an Isaiah 1 through 3, a little g gods. He had vanity and pride, and he also had uh, false religion. So there was something off in this type of ministry that wanted a king. Now, if you want the Lord and go to Samuel and go, then God tells Samuel, I want to give them a king, that's different. But these people said, we know more than anybody and we want a king. We want it our way. This is a logical analogy similar to getting people in ministry and Christianity focused on one person as the way as their way, as the big I, I am for Apollos. No, 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 I am for Paul. No, 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 we're for Bishop. Oh, no, 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 we're for Sally, Sister Sue, you know, whatever. Apostle Paul mentions this, and I have lived in the residue of mega ministry, mantled ministry that has gone cult more than once. I didn't want to know it. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't know such things happened, but I'm a discerner prophet. Wow. You can tell because they have not, they're clueless about relationships that don't resemble their kind only. See, this is it. When we have the Micah, remember that Micah scripture, Micah 7, 5, when God gave me, when the Jim Swaggart things happened and people got crushed and offended and he said, don't put your confidence in the guy. Don't put your confidence in the neighbor. Don't put your confidence in the one beside you in bed. Just put your confidence in the Lord. This is why. All right. One reason why. 
because when people go down the head person, the elevated gimlet, all the people who've been clueless, who've been not trained, have put their emotions, their money, their, you know, all their compassion, all their hero worship, idol worship into them. And if they fall, then they think they blame God or they get angry at everything and selves and they, they leave or they get turned off from God. That's one reason. Apollo's teaching is another. When you look at Apostle Paul, who wrote servant leader letters, lowercase a, even about himself as an apostle, lowercase e, evangelist, T for teacher, P for prophet. So it's all servant leader, P for pastor. None of this elevated, you know, bowing and scraping like we have instituted so many places. It's for many reasons, not just to kill your joy, not just to have no fun, to say you can't have your king. No, it's for a real reason. I'm out here with it. I understand. This is not Baptist, Baptists and Methodists and Catholics, to my knowledge, and black people. You know, maybe some black people do this, some of this. But I mean, really, most many people do not have junior ministries that are rude, want to be aggressive, fighting their way to win, you know, at, at the expense of any other parishioner or, or attendee. I mean, really, why? <laughs> it's because of the fruit. We need to train it, not to accuse it, to train on it. That's the reason it affects relationships. People get compassion fatigued. That's another reason. The compassion fatigued Eli Temple priesthood had seen too much. It had gone out of its way, but no more. It had just made formulas. It had made, it was tired. Then God took them out. They were no good. I would say, God forbid to take anybody out. Just tell them, get out, retire. God says, I'll remove your lampstand, lost first love lampstand. Revelation 12, Revelation 2, 2 through 8. So to me, I would consider and contemplate all of this. So when we have the first Corinthian church, which is the carnal church, the seaport church, just brand new, all these kinds and styles on a seaport and you know, Corinth, then they had gotten where, you know, they have their celebrity worship started. They had their egos that they follow. They had their, you know, preferential. And they said, I'm for Apollos. And Paul comes in and he says, man, don't say I'm for Apollos. Don't say I'm for Paul. Say I'm for Jesus. And I have lived now. I got it. Why this is not healthy. One reason it is uh, putting your trust in persons, real persons. It does make it clubby. Our four, we only follow this kind, and they are very strict, and they believe us in towing the line, and they do it this way, and the others would say, no, we are up for this kind. They never do that. They're more club-like and cult-like, and we scan everybody to make sure they keep under our power. <laughs> and it ain't the top people. It's the ones under them, usually, that follow them that are off. So in light of modern day salvation and Billy Graham, a tad more Billy Graham, and a wake up call to this elite, it's elite. I don't see elite in the New Testament, do you? Do you see elite? Elite is so big, it really is. Elite, cult, club, clone, click. Psychic, 
occult. All this can be found. All this needs to be identified and done away with so God doesn't move on them and do away. We don't want that. This is not for me. It's not for my want. It's a prophet has to say it to give you a warning. That's all. Therefore, the grace of God go I. But why? It's for eternity. If they're so full of their cultness, their cuteness, their serish gifting, their Bible quoting, their pomp and ceremony and bowing and scraping that the new people who've never normal people can see right through it. They don't want any part of it. They think that's Jesus. They think that's Jesus. They'll leave and they won't want to go back. They'll think, why would I want to be there? I understand you exactly. That's why I could say this. When those riots happen, when we've had riots and we've had all these marchers and statues being turned over, eh, all I could think was after what I've seen, business, ministry is business. All I thought was, doesn't surprise me at all. These people have never met a real Christian. How would they know one? They've just heard about it and the bad stuff on the news and the Simpsons. When one mixed race reporter was quoted and saying in the, during the riots when they were tossing over the statues, he said, I think you need to talk, turn over and pull down all the statues of Jesus because it's a white supremacy symbol. And I went, oh my gosh. <laughs> but I went, I I got it. I understand why he's never met a real Christian. Plus, he thinks they're white. He's white. He's Jewish, Sephardic Jew. We got to get the Middle Eastern thing out right now, really. God's cleaning. He's going to clean his temple. He really is. It's his temple. It's his temple. Not mine, not yours. It's his. Oh, Lord. That's why I don't go. I haven't been go. I don't go where they have false teaching. I don't go. I don't have time to waste. I don't need to be ducking the arrows that come from the seerish, soulish, dark side of prophecy. I don't need that because I care for Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that hard. This is another point. You don't want to make it so hard for people to fellowship with the saints. Hebrews 10.25. It is so hard hard you have to be approved you may not be fitting their type you might be young not young enough you might be too blonde enough you might be too female enough or too male enough you don't know you cannot tell you how many pharisee hoops there are to jump right now when they view it as a business elite business all right so I thought, therefore, the grace of God go I, but I'd rather be have a, I'd rather win favor with the Lord and help people who might have already felt that and thought it was them. It's not you. It's them. This is a cult spirit. There is that what we call before the prophecy of the early 90s, where it said there would be a spirit of entertainment and fantasy. Think of the video games and movies that are out there and just picture it as, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we are the elite. I mean, we have just got the top knowledge, the top gifts, the top. We are the top. And we got fantasy and plastic, and that is calling itself ministry 
in this day. So we look at, do we want a king? Is that what has happened? Are we saying, well, uh, because I chose to do what Paul said not to do? You know, Paul said, don't say I'm only for brother so-and-so. And I'm out here with them. And they all trade on brother so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, sister so-and-so's coattails to brag that they're under them so they can get elevated. I've been, that's for 30 years. That's why I don't play this game. I'm not around that crowd. <laughs> really, it's so awful because only God's grace, though. I've seen the real deal. I've seen nothing like that as a real Christian all my life until they got to these kind of moves, you know. One of the precepts I have, besides the ConAgra analogy from Mega TV down to the crops down here, infecting the populace, would be another teaching to train, hopefully, the top people. All right? It's not the top people. Many of these people are pure in heart. They just didn't know about Mega coming after, you know, and doing it. And some of them, who knows what, I don't know what they do. I'm out here with the common folk. That's my turf where I want to be. I really do. That's my wannabes be out here. I like to be myself. I really do. All right. So my teaching is for the nation, many a slip between the cup and the lip. You may have the prophetic cup, many a slip between the prophetic cup. It's your mouth, your word, your teaching, your training, your leadership. You say it and it goes out into the waiting ears and lips of whoever else is out there. Wannabes, good people, trained people, leaders, fault finders, strict people, racist, clubby, fakers, barely minimal believers, you got it, but you don't know what's going on because I meet it. This is affecting Jesus' name and relationships in the fear of the Lord in our nation and its grassroots everywhere. Many a slip between a cup and the lip. Any person included, that's why I teach so strongly with so many fine points because I know <laughs> I know, Google. you know, I just trust God that enough gets through that you can understand truth. All right. Many a slip. Someone in the prophetic moves years ago called it a twisting spirit. There's some kind of fancy name. They come up with all these things. <laughs> and we don't want to put that out there, but, you know, God forbid. So I would think that it would be helpful in light of Jesus coming. I'd gotten the word that this is the last inning. Now, when my children play, one of my children played softball in elementary school, <laughs> I found out how long an inning can last. <laughs> I think they had 26. They had 26 uh, innings in one game one time, and they la it was the heat. Oh, my heavens, so much heat. And they had this long inning. So I'm not putting a time on it, but the Lord put on my heart. It's like many, uh, what do you call it? The last shall be first, the first shall be last. I heard that the other day and then followed by, this is the last inning, yet I have to qualify that it, we don't know how long the inning is because some innings are a long time. <laughs> that was a long time. I remember that night. <laughs> so the issue is that, heads up, we want to make sure that we're valid. We want to make sure we're listening to people that are valid, that what we're doing is fruit that remains that is really valid. 
We want to make sure that when we meet Jesus by ourselves, that we won't be shocked and horrified at our own false teaching. We don't want that. We don't want to be shocked and horrified that we did all this good work, all this good teaching, and nobody's there because we never told them how to meet the Lord and that they're down there and burning, you know, at the other area. Other, We don't want that. So this is why I'm risking displeasing the nation's populace practically that speak in tongues. <laughs> but that's okay. I love you. God loves you. So we're going to talk more as the Lord leads. This is Tavo Diarcy, and um, we're really grateful for the days in which we live. I'm really thankful. I would think if I would read a book, three books in the Bible, Isaiah 1 through 2. Well, Isaiah is a huge book. The first part is the warning to the priest. The rest, you know, get to 40s on up. It's like amazing. The Messiah and all sorts of wonderful things. All right, so Isaiah, 1 Samuel, and in the New Testament, Ephesians. Ephesians was pre-Christian in Asia Minor, very diverse, very occult. They had the Temple Diana cult club, the, the mega ministry of a Temple Diana. They were in the Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, and it's post-Christian now, and it is like this. It's getting to be like that more and more. So we don't want to make it difficult on real people, God's people, anybody, strangers, new visitors. We don't want to make it difficult for them to participate and meet the Lord. That's what this is about. This is all this is about. And I would say that if anything, I'm very concerned. I'm only concerned for those people moving the occult in Christianity. I am only very concerned for the Eli Temple priesthood, good old boys clubs in priesthood. I am. As I ride around, I get an idea, you know, thought from the Lord. And I was thinking, you know, in the old days, maybe it was okay. And I'm not saying it was okay with God, but nobody talked about it. It used to be maybe a double standard for women and men. That the women, don't you dare make a mistake, or you're just, you know, the Jezebel, or you're the harlot, or whatever. That's the common grassroots country red state thought that I, you know, not my dad or anybody that I would hang with. But that's what I remember, that yet I find that through my life, the only people who fault find like big major Pharisees, mega Pharisees, they're doing it. Everybody seems to know that. That if they cry the loudest, you know, you're a you're you're committing this, you're committing that, you're a you know, all this stuff, you're gay, homosexual, gonna burn in hell, all that. Don't you know that the people who do that and cry at the loud, you're a Jezebel? They are that. Usually they're practicing. Let's learn this time. History doesn't have to. It doesn't want to repeat all this stuff. If you love somebody, you respect them. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to want to know them closely. You don't have to agree with their theology or condone them. But you respect them. That is the first line of leadership. You respect everyone genuinely and equally, or else you don't even bother 
telling them that Jesus loves them, that he died for their sins, that he paid a price on the cross so that you and they could go to heaven, they're not going to want to hear it because they know they read you that you disrespect them and they feel demeaned and they think it's Jesus doing it. God bless you. He loves you. It ain't all over. It ain't all over till the fear of the Lord comes in. God bless you. Bye-bye.